Hey guys, welcome to Thrive Bites Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Colin Zhu, and thank you so much for listening on. You could have been anywhere in the world and you decided to spend just a few moments of your precious time, and we greatly appreciate it. Here on the podcast, we talk about three things living a plant powered lifestyle, enhancing emotional resilience, and creating a thriving mindset. And I interview a range of passionate guests, such as physicians, dietitians, coaches, entrepreneurs, and many more. And please join. Join me as I deliver these engaging, informative, and high-valued conversations for you. And just remember, the first five seasons of the Thrive Bites podcast can now be found in the new The Chef Doc app, available in your Apple Store and Google Play stores. So what are you waiting for? Come on inside. Hey guys, what's going on? My name is uh, Dr. Colin Zhu, and we have a wonderful, wonderful uh, episode to kind of start off the new year. Um, I'm joined by my guest and friend and colleague, Dr. Beth Frades. She is uh, the current president of the American College of Lifestyle Medicine, authored several, several books, and is a prolific speaker. And even more than that, she is a wonderful, wonderful, beautiful human being inside and out and a great uh, family-oriented human being. So you don't want to miss this. We have a lot of great heartwarming stories in addition to what is lifestyle medicine and what can we learn from it and how do we implement it. So you don't want to miss this. Stay tuned. Okay, guys. Well, welcome to another episode of Thrive Bites Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Colin Zhu, and thank you so much for being here with us. You could have been anywhere in the world, and you decided to share your precious moments with us today, and I'm really, really greatly appreciative of that. Today, we have a wonderful, wonderful, wonderful guest. She is a uh, force of nature. Um, she is uh, a movement all in herself, and uh, I liked like to say that you know um, she is a good friend of mine. We are great colleagues to, uh, with one another, and uh, she's kind of like the epitome of you know this African proverb that says you know if you want to go fast, you go it out alone, and if you want to go far, you want to go together. And her and her esteemed colleagues, which um, you know, I'm really happy to be a part of. Uh, which is the American College of Lifestyle Medicine, which she leads as this term's, you know, president. You know, I'm really grateful for the work that she has done. So just a little bit about her. She's a trained physician and uh, health and wellness uh, coach. Uh, she has great, great expertise in lifestyle medicine. She has several teaching accolades from uh, the Harvard Extension School as well as Harvard uh, Medical School. And she is also an assistant clinical professor. And she's one of the first fellows of the American College of Lifestyle Medicine and just a, uh, a pioneer uh, since 2008, she's created the first lifestyle medicine interest group in Harvard Med uh, Medical School. And since 2014, uh, she has developed and taught uh, the college level for lifestyle medicine curriculum. Um, and it's still one of the most well-received courses offered at the school. And she was voted president at ACLM um, in August 2020. She's written many, many books, uh, which later she's going to share those books. Uh, she's co-authored the Lifestyle Medicine Handbook. Um, introduction to Power of Healthy Habits, which has ranked top 20 um, by Book Authority for Medical Schools released in 2018. And she's also co-created Lifestyle Medicine 101, uh, which is also a full college curriculum. Um, and 
She's also co-authored the Teen Lifestyle Medicine Handbook, which got published in 2020. And uh, she's also done a lot of work um, at Spalding uh, Rehabilitation Hospital, being a director of wellness programming. And uh, she would touch uh, a little bit based on that. And this book that I'm holding, which... Uh, which, uh, which is the most recent, which is a pocket guide, Lifestyle Medicine, which is awesome. So without further ado, we can take all episodes just to you know talk about her resume. <laughs> Please welcome Dr. Beth Frades. Hello. <laughs> oh, thank you so much, Dr. Colin Zhu. That was a really lovely introduction and your words touched me deeply. Thank you. I think you are a force of nature Aww. and you are really taking culinary medicine and thriving lifestyle medicine to a new level with your passion and energy. Well, I really appreciate it. And, uh, you know, at this time of recording, we're in the holiday cheer. How are you celebrating the holidays? Is everything going well with you? Great question. It's wonderful. My boys are coming home today. I have a 24-year-old son and a 22-year-old son. You may have seen my three-year-old, almost three-year-old German shepherd pass by here in the house, and my husband is working from home. So we celebrate Christmas, and we're very excited to be together for this period of time. We'll see my husband's family and my family our extended families, this will be a time of social connection mm -hmm. in our pillar. We are really going to be focused in on spending time and really sitting down and being fully present and mindful with our relatives that we don't often get to see. So we look forward to that as our main priority during the holidays. Awesome. Awesome. And I appreciate you sharing that. And you know, we'll definitely come back and revisit um, the concept of families and social connections later and how that is so, so important. On this podcast, we talk a lot about food, diet, and nutrition, but sometimes we need to be reminded of how important relationships, social connections, and family is. So let's kick off this podcast with, you know, talking about lifestyle medicine. And if you could you know, we know the proper, you know, de definition of it. I would like to hear from your words, what does lifestyle, um, how is it defined and what does it mean to you? And if you can take us back, you know, what was the pivotal moment or series of moments that led you down the path of lifestyle medicine? Well, this is a delicious question <laughs> or two. So I'll, I will answer them together and not in the order that you asked them. I'm such a rebel. <laughs> so I'm going to answer your second question, which is what was the moment or the defining moment that led you to this incredible specialty? And then how do you define it? Okay. So I know the exact moment, in fact, the exact moment that led me to this specialty. And it was, I know my location and the time. So mm. nine, 1986, it was in September. I was returning to my dorm at Harvard, leaving the coop after buying my economics textbooks and my other course textbooks for my freshman year 
where I had decided to major, or we call it concentrate in economics, following in the footsteps of my dad and my grandpa and my uncles who started a financial advising counting company in New York, and it was thriving in the second generation. And I'm the youngest of all the pegs. And so it was it was up to me to take it to the third generation. <laughs> and I was up for that challenge. Very excited, love math, loved studying, loved working hard. So I got my economics books, couldn't wait to tell my dad all about it. Mm. I left the coop, if you know the square in Cambridge, I left the coop. There were pay phones. So I'm bringing you back to a time, Colin, I don't think you were alive. <laughs> or you were just- No, I was, I was. Okay, you're just a little guy. We had pay phones. There were no cell phones. In fact, the dorm telephone that I had was having trouble and wasn't even hooked up. So I left the coop. I called home excitedly to, to tell uh, my mom and dad about these books. And I got my mom on the phone and she said, I've been trying to get a hold of you. Well, surely my dorm room phone wasn't working, as I mentioned. Trying to get a hold of you, trying to find you. I said, oh, well, I'm right here. I got my books. I'm so excited. I'm going to be an economics major. Dad loves you very much. Okay, thanks, mom. I know that. That's terrific. And I love dad too. So what's going on? Mm-hmm. And, and the whole tone got really sad and it was not jovial at all. And it was scary and very concerning because she said, your dad has suffered a heart attack and stroke. You need to come to New York immediately. Mm-hmm. So uh, at that time, my brother was at Boston University, not far. I was able to catch him. Again, there were no cell phones. Fortunately, I I was able to connect with him. And we drove together to the hospital in Valhalla, which is, uh, I I grew up in Scarsdale, New York. So in in the hospital close close to where I grew up. Mm -hmm. And in that hospital, we entered the hospital bedroom where my dad was. And I'm sure many of you are familiar with someone who's suffered a middle cerebral artery stroke on their right side, they're, 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 they're paralyzed on their left side. So their face doesn't move on the left side. It's very hard to talk because you're, you're paralyzed and, and his arm and and leg were, were similar. And so he of course had just nasal prongs and multiple IVs in hooked up to all the different machinery that we are aware of for, tracking blood pressure and heart rate, O2 sat. But I'd never seen these things in my life. I'm not sure I'd ever visited anyone in the hospital until that time, actually. Mm. So this was knee-jerk crying for me. I just looked in, saw him, and just really cried. Um, And then, of course, my mother started crying. And unfortunately, I started this just circle of crying, which could not have been helpful for my father, but I wasn't thinking that I was just very emotional because this man I loved that was, I I mean, I still love that was the pillar of uh, power in our family Mm. was really not able, not able to even get up out of bed. So for me, this was a turning point in my own life because I was fascinated fascinated by how did this happen? Why did this happen? How will he recover? And how can I help? Mm. So 
fortunately at that time, Dr. Moses, yes, that was our family doctor, <laughs> Dr. Moses was rounding and we were all there. He was brilliant. And he said, why don't we all come together in a separate room? Let's let Don rest. My, my dad's name was Donald. Let's let Don rest and let's, let's come together. So we did have a meeting in a team room where Dr. Moses explained what a heart attack was. He explained what a stroke was. He, he told us what the risk factors were for these things, including an unhealthy diet, lack of physical activity, stress. He mentioned blood pressure and diabetes and other risk factors that mm -hmm. we didn't know dad had, but apparently at that point he, he had high blood pressure that no one knew until this event. And mm -hmm. anyway, he explained all this, which made me think about the diet we were consuming and his lifestyle, which was to be at work from 6 a.m. to 11 p.m., be home at night and on the weekends, but not really there. So his body was at home, but his head was <clears> in the <throat> city at his office. The high levels of stress that sometimes came out with stress eating, like an entire cake would disappear mm -hmm. overnight. Like what happened to my birthday cake? <laughs> Literally, it was my birthday cake and it was gone. So there were some real significant signs of, of serious stress. He said something, that's Dr. Moses, that I won't forget. Many things I won't forget. One was he went around the room. So, so Mary, that's my mother, you're going to be here supporting him with this and this. And I, that's sort of a blank, but he talked about mom, uh, uh, my brother, Don, you're going to be back in college, but you'll be able to check in with this again. I don't remember, mind you, this is 1986, but I remember this one and Beth, you'll be coming home for vacation and you'll be talking to your dad and you can always check in on something that's very important for this recovery process, which is his hand strength. So he's going to get a ball and you will check in and you can check in with him on how he's doing with his ball exercises. He will progress. He's likely to get better and recover fully. Now, he said, I can't promise anything, but a young man of 52, which he was when I was 18, a young man of 52 has a good chance of a, of a full recovery. If you know stroke, and I know many of you do, with a infarct to the middle cerebral artery, fine motor movement in the hand is difficult to come back. So the hand is actually really critical. In his case, after a year of physical therapy, occupational therapy, he did recover fully, except for that fine motor movements in, mm. in, the, in the left hand. But, so but any like a pencil? Pencil would be difficult? Great question. So fortunately, he's right-handed, so he didn't actually use a pencil in his left hand, but great, great question. So to put it concretely, when we would go to the store together and he would be checking out, we used cash and coins. Remember, this mm -hmm. is 1980s. He would be able to get the coins out from his pocket, but it would be very difficult to manipulate dimes. Mm. So what we, we just all... We're used to this. If you were with dad, he would pull out the coins and we would just pick out the change, the appropriate change from his hand as if it were just commonplace. 
Like no one needed to speak about it. It just, it was just something we were all waiting for and, and, and expected. Now, of course he could put this down himself on a table with his right hand, pick it up, put it down. He had mechanisms to cope, to be independent, of course, but that's an example of something that was a limitation for him. So at that time I plunged into biology and I plunged into heart disease and stroke on my own. And I decided that I needed to do everything I possibly could to help my dad not have a second stroke. Because once you start reading about stroke, you see there's a high recurrence rate. Yeah. So I read everything I possibly could. I changed my major to be pre-med. So I took biology and psychology. It was a double concentration uh, mm. back then. And I was able to do the pre-med courses that way and also study psychology because I knew there was a large part to this process that was stress-related and brain-related, of course, behavior-related as well. So the biology was a must, uh, but I believed that the brain was obviously, to me, extremely important as well. That led me to Count Way Library many, many days. Now, that's the library at the Harvard Medical School. The colleges in Cambridge, m- many of you probably know this, the medical school is a, a T-stop uh, two or three away in Brookline. So I would take the T from the college to the medical school, Count Way Library, to open up the New England Journal of Medicine, because that's how you that's how you were informed in the 80s. You, you read the journals. I, I, of course, didn't have a subscription for this, but I, I read mm. the journal articles to try to learn more. And I'll never forget the day I read Rosansky, Alan Rosansky and his colleagues wrote an article in the New England Journal of Medicine about, about stress and silent myocardial ischemia. So mm. he was a cardiologist, is a cardiologist, who studied cardio, 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 um, CAD patients, coronary artery disease patients, cardiac patients who were going in for their stress test. So they were going to have a physical stressor at any rate to be evaluated. And then if they agreed and consented, they would do the stress test part of the study as well. And he mm-hmm. found that with serial sevens, 100 minus seven, repeat it, repeat it again. You know the serial sevens mm-hmm. and public speaking. These activities that were stressful for many people created the same EKG changes and thallium scan changes that occurred when these coronary artery disease patients were exercising. So the mm-hmm. mental stress, the mental exercises they were doing were impacting the heart the same way the physical exercise was impacting. Mm. You know, we had Herb Benson here at that time in Boston doing a lot of great work on meditation and the mind-body connection, thank goodness. But this wasn't well accepted back then in the 80s, but I, I knew it. And so I wanted to actually see it with my own two eyes. So it was that article that led to my senior thesis replicating Rosansky's work. Mm. I have been fascinated by these six pillars before we even really had six pillars since I was 18. So that's the moment. 
And then that translates to my interest in the mechanisms that led me to Stanford Medical School and the cardiovascular research lab there to look at endothelial cells and see the function in an animal model of endothelial cells when when there was a diet that was rich in saturated fat or a diet rich in nitric oxide like walnuts. And of course, the diet that had a content that was rich in nitric oxide, those endothelial cells were healthier, statistically significantly healthier than the endothelial cells that had been fed the saturated fat diet. So again, I'm convinced I know it. I saw it with my own two eyes. And this led me to think, I really want to spend my life understanding this, then translating it and teaching this broadly. So that's when I decided that I would go into physiatry, physical medicine and rehab to focus in on stroke patients. And that led me back to Mass General Hospital for my preliminary intern year, that one year for physiatry. Then I went to Spalding, across the road here, Spalding Rehab Hospital affiliated with MGH. And it's a Harvard Medical School hospital. I did my Department of Physical Medicine and Rehab training there. It was then that I got back into research on people and really interested on the behavior of physicians. So we looked at, do physicians counsel on exercise? Do they counsel on strength training? Do they counsel on aerobic training? Then we asked this primary physicians in this survey, male, a male, through the post office, when I say a male survey, to look at both women and men physicians and their activities. So did they do strength training? Did they do aerobic training themselves? And this was put out and published in 2000 and showed that physicians that did strength training counseled on it. If they didn't do strength training, didn't counsel on it. Physicians that did aerobic training counseled on it. If they didn't do aerobic training, they didn't counsel on it. So basically, physicians preach what they practice. This was a huge aha in 2000. It's been replicated many times since. But that led me then to think about the health of my colleagues. So I knew my dad was a workaholic, ate fast food, sat and was most of the day, didn't do exercise and was very stressed and did not sleep. He was up Mm. all night. So I knew his behaviors were very unhealthy. Physicians can also be very unhealthy. So for myself, Apple does not fall far from the tree, Colin. So I knew if I wasn't careful, I would become that workaholic. So diving into these different areas of health was actually really helpful for me personally. Mm-hmm. And then mm-hmm. looking, looking at the fact that I'm, here I am in this healthcare field, learning that it's important for healthcare providers, for physicians to practice what they preach. And truly, it was the second moment for me, which is when I learned the term lifestyle medicine, was after I wrote a book called Life After Stroke, How to uh, Prevent a Second Stroke and Recover Fully. Johns Hopkins Press with some colleagues, the head of stroke at Spalding, and then another mentor at Spalding, Julie Silver and Joel Stein were my co-authors. 
published it, was so excited. And then there was another member of my department. When I was a resident, he was an attending, Dr. Eddie Phillips. And he was at our department meeting for our holiday party. And he said, hey, I saw your book. I said, you know, it's great work. You know what you're doing. I said, um, no. <laughs> I mean, yes. I What? I'm not sure. Do I? <laughs> Do <you have> <laughs> was that a rhetorical question or was that a statement? <laughs> Do you think I did? What, 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 yes. You're doing, <laughs> you're doing lifestyle medicine. Hmm? Sounds right. What's that? And he went on to describe that that's how we as physiatrists and this new field of lifestyle medicine use exercise, nutrition, stress resiliency. Back then it was like 2006, really big focus on those first three pillars to help patients to prevent, treat these chronic conditions. I said, that's it. That's amazing. That's what I want to do. So I uh, leapt over to the Institute of Lifestyle Medicine. We stayed, of course, in our Department of Physical Medicine and Rehab at, at Harvard, but then created this Institute of Lifestyle Medicine where we started doing CMEs continuing medical education courses for physicians on these topics. So we had her Benson speak, talked about exercise, talked about nutrition, and then a key component, which I learned about in 2008, the health coaching behavior change piece. And that's when I became a certified health and wellness coach, understanding that there's the science of the pillars, which I had studied since 18. There's the practice of the pillars, yourself physically encouraging the practice and reaching the guidelines for the patients, which requires behavior change. Yeah. And that's, those are my pivotal lifestyle medicine moments. Now, definition of it now, your first, but I created mm -hmm. the second question. Lifestyle medicine is the most amazing and fulfilling profession I could possibly imagine where we get to share the science, the science of exercise. Talk about myokines, so cytokines that come from the muscle, like irisin, and, and talk to people about how irisin can impact your brain, can combine with BDNF, brain-derived neurotrophic factor, to increase neurogenesis, can have an impact on your appetite, can help beta cell survival in your pancreas. It's all just so exciting. All this exercise science. And not only that, then how about the nutrition science? People talk about the microbiome. We get to share this as lifestyle medicine experts, specialists, clinicians. We know the importance of the microbiome. People say you need to eat fruit and vegetable and, and fiber. And we say, absolutely. And we can give you the science behind it. When you eat that fiber, your microbiome ferments it, creates short chain fatty acids like acetate, propionate, and butyrate. But you don't seem to care because you don't know what those things are. So let me share with you that those things are short chain fatty acids that can get into the L cell of your gastrointestinal tract. Why do you care? Because then they have an impact on GLP-1. When I was talking about this in 2018, no one cared when I stopped on that slide that showed how short chain fatty acids had an impact on GLP-1, our natural GLP-1 to increase it. Now everyone stops and they want to know more. But anyway, then not only that, we're talking about our immune system. We're talking about glucose metabolism, energy metabolism, 
This is what these short chain fatty acids can do for you. So fiber is so important. We know it. And my Greek grandma told me yes to eat my vegetables and gave me spinach and gave me the salad. Sure. But now what's so amazing about this specialty is we have the science and we learn more and more each week about something in our bodies that we can control our epigenetics, not our genetics. Can't control genetics. You know my genetics. So what can we control? What can we do with our bodies so that we can thrive, so that we can reach our optimal state of health in whatever, whatever age or stage we're in, if we're stroke survivor, if we're breast cancer thriver, if we are a young person hoping to not fall, follow the footsteps of our dear father who had an early heart attack and stroke, we have mechanisms and we know the science. I only talked about two pillars, exercise, nutrition, sleep science. That has grown tremendously. And how about the stress resiliency we talked about? It was known even in the 70s with Herb Benson, but now is really honored. And then one of my favorite pillars, social connection, and then avoidance of risky substances. We need to assess and address the use of risky substances. And that's lifestyle medicine, the exciting profession that helps people understand the science, that studies the science, that teaches this science and the practice to medical students and residents and clinicians alike, and also practices this in a model that is exciting, (laughs) that patients love, that providers love, that can help reduce burnout, And that can be effective for better outcomes in health, reduced healthcare costs. And we need to think about these clinical models and moving to a value-based approach and system for our healthcare system, which is a sick care system. And we all know it. We need the value-based care. In the meantime, there's concierge models, there's direct primary care models, there's fee-for-service models, group visits, which you know I love, group visits that we can use in lifestyle medicine to help people adopt and sustain these healthy patterns. So that's lifestyle medicine to me. Hey guys, we're going to be taking a short break, but don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. Hey guys, what's going on? This is Dr. Colin Zhu, aka The Chef Doc, and thank you so much for joining me on another video. I'm very excited to talk about a few things in regards with checking. So when was the last time that you had a chance to visit your primary care doctor or the last time you saw your provider and had a annual check, a wellness check? When's the last time you have checked for STDs or just had a general understanding of what preventative care is or wellness. So I'm very happy to let you guys know that I've partnered with Let's Get Checked and it is a fantastic company where they do end-to-end collection and testing. And so what that means is that they provide a very great user experience, a very great, seamless, efficient process of getting your wellness check, your labs check, cholesterol, your diabetes score. They help you calculate your heart risk. They go into men's health, women's health, and also sexual health as well. And so how it works is that you go online, you order your tests, 
and you receive a box like this, okay? What I currently have is my diabetes and heart collection. I also have one for micronutrients. And basically it comes in a box like this. So thank you for watching this video and let's all get checked together and I'll see you guys on the next one. Hey guys, we're gonna be taking a short break, but don't go anywhere, we'll be right back. So number one, thank you so much for sharing your father's story, your personal anecdotes, and you gave like a wonderful, well-rounded, comprehensive full circle of how, uh, not just the science, right, but how it's implemented, how it's conveyed, how it's uh, taught and educated, right? And you've touched upon not just, you know, the doctor and patient relationship, but also how we could continue to reinforce and dispense in our, you know, academic systems as well. It wasn't too long ago, and we're doing a much better job now where only about a quarter of medical uh, schools actually receive a nutritional course. And only then for me, it was probably 10 credit hours of just, you know, the biochemical, you know, form of nutrition. So you're not really getting the whole picture, right? And uh, we actually have a couple things in common. I majored in psychology and I minored in economics. And I was also just as fascinated. And, uh, and it's, you know, I, I think it's, it's very important to practice what you preach, just to comment on that. And, you know, there's many, many uh, studies and surveys that show that a doctor is way more confident when they are able you know, when they have the knowledge base and they were able to practice themselves. You actually answered the second question, which was, you know, what does it mean? What does lifestyle me uh, medicine mean for the physician and the patient? But I also want to ask if you can go a little bit more in terms of what does it mean for like a company? Like, what does it mean for employee health, the employer and the actual healthcare system? Like you said, we live in a very sick uh, sick care system. I would like to add to that is we also work in, and live in a very reactive system. And what lifestyle medicine is, is a very proactive and very preventative model. So what does that mean in our current system that for a lot of millions and millions of Americans, you know, unfortunately say, you know, they actually are very similar to what your father has gone through. Right. So what does that mean for the employer and what does that mean for the healthcare system? Why should they care? Yes. And when I give my talks, I do often tell a story or a version of the story of my dad. I often just describe a man and it happens to be my dad who had a big impact on me. And I describe his lifestyle. And afterward, many people come up to me, men and women, and they say, I'm your father. Of course, they're not actually my father, right? Yeah. Um, in fact, my father's unfortunately passed away, but he lived 27 years after his heart attack. Mm. And they were the best years of his life. And I always wanted to work with him, right? I was going to take the business mm -hmm. over work with him. And in a strange way, here I am still working with him, you know? And mm -hmm. it's really interesting. But to your question, so no one wants you to live longer and be healthier than your loved ones, you, your loved ones, your employer who is going to be paying for medications and any health setbacks you have, and life insurance companies. So these people are for your health. So employers 
are an amazing opportunity for us to get lifestyle medicine into the system. Now, interestingly, my husband came from a family of doctors. No mm. one in business. And I came from a family of business people and no one was in medicine. So he is a CFO of a company and he went into business. And so he talks a lot about the importance of keeping the employees healthy so that they can live wonderful lives and be thriving at work. That's what every employer wants. They want you to be thriving. And also it is very challenging and there's a lot of money spent on people that have serious conditions or are diagnosed with serious conditions that need a lot of workup. So keeping employees healthy and happy, you can do through lifestyle medicine. So if we can connect with employers in a real way, not just in a way such that they will give their employees a gym membership. Now, look, there's nothing wrong with that. Have a gym membership. I'm not mm -hmm. against memberships at all, actually. I mean, I hope people do get gym memberships, but that is not enough. We talked about behavior change. We talked about the science and then the art of mm -hmm. lifestyle medicine. And the art is in this behavior change. So for employers to really help their people so they could exercise during the day. I have a work station, which is a stationary bike that has a little laptop area. And I was just on an American College of Lifestyle Medicine hour-long call on meaning and purpose in medicine. And I was on my stationary bike. What if employers had these stationary bikes at work or exercise balls for chairs? How about the food that they have in their cafeterias? Look, they have to provide food anyway. People have to sit and get work done. Why not allow them to sit on a stationary bike and we're mm. on a or on a bouncy ball, a physio ball. You know, there are things employers could do to help their employees. And then this very important creating social connections. We know that people stay at work when there's at least one friend at work. And this is an important pillar of ours. And 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 we need to help employers understand how you can create and cultivate high quality connections. A lot of Jane Dutton's work that I love so much. Stress resiliency. What if we had meditation rooms? What if there were mindfulness sessions at work? I, I dream of this, that 10 o'clock, mm. everybody, everybody sits and it could be online all together. Who knows? And maybe John Kabat-Zinn leads a mindfulness-based stress reduction 10 minutes for us all. But these things can be in place employers can start to embrace group visits. So if they do have a number of employees that have diabetes and are working very hard to manage their diabetes, they may be on multiple medications, but if we could have group visits for those employees that have diabetes and they could learn some acceptable movement strategies that would increase their heart rate and get them excited about physical activity. It could be hula hooping in the office. I don't know. <laughs> these things have to be fun. We also know that we need to make these things fun. But if we could use group visits in the, in the lifestyle medicine arena around these employees, for example, that have diabetes, they could be talking about even have lunches together, stress resiliency, talk about sleep. It's very important to address sleep with people who have diabetes. As we know, sleep deprivation 
can reduce insulin sensitivity. There's research on this. So it, it of course, impacts our hormones when we are sleep deprived. And then the stress resiliency. And, you know, people are going to substances. It's happened in an extreme during COVID. But going back to smoking, picking up drinking to excessive amounts, and having a space at the uh, workplace where people could discuss, assess, and address any substance use. So employers, it's to their advantage to utilize lifestyle medicine physicians, the practice of lifestyle medicine, to treat, to manage, in many cases, even reverse conditions like diabetes, like high blood pressure, and of course, prevent, keep the healthy workforce. Lifestyle medicine can do all of that. And you asked also healthcare systems. Well, it's similar in that with healthcare systems, if we can get lifestyle medicine providers and practices in place, we'll see that those patients will come off medications. Lifestyle medicine physicians know how to de-prescribe only, only in concert with the use of and prescription of the six pillars at the mm. doses, at the intensities that can treat and reverse these conditions. Now, that's, again, the science and the art. If you're going to get up to the proper doses of physical activity, doses of healthy foods, whole food, plant predominant, doses of sleep, doses of stress resiliency, 10 to 20 minutes of some stress reduction technique by research. You can find that in the in the lifestyle as a pocket guy. And and social connection, connecting with a person a day or seven people in the week. Again, by meta-analyses, this can help us to reduce our morbidity and mortality, but for, for employers, as I told you, can help retention. And then avoidance of risky substances. If we can do this and have healthcare systems hire lifestyle medicine practitioners who can prescribe in the proper dose and intensities, these six pillars, they'll come off the medications, their costs will come down, the patients will be happier, healthier, and more engaged in their world around them for community service, for work, for family activities. Yeah. Thank you for uh, saying that because, you know, our audiences, you know, we do have professionals, healthcare professionals, and we do have the general public that is more oriented, you know, for the health and wellness. And uh, it's good to kind of touch upon, okay, you know, we're actually part of the workforce, right? Whether we're in the employer, the C-suite level or the employee level, how does this affect, you know, us, right? I think a lot of times, things only matter when it only affects us, right? And what we've learned with lifestyle medicine, what we've learned from the pandemic, right? So many different things are interdependent on one another. So many different things influence one another. And lifestyle medicine is such a great educational as well as a therapeutic tool when used correctly, where it has all these different influences. You know, just looking at time, you know, going to the last part that you've mentioned, you've talked about family, you know, we're in the holiday season, right? Why does family matter, right? And of course, someone that's watching comes from a very, you know, different individual, you know, background. You know, they may have had parents, may have had guardians, they may have been adopted. They're spending the holidays by themselves or they're spending it, uh, you know, with loved ones. 
But family, social connections, relationships, you know, those are actual pillars. You know, we've learned from the Harvard, you know, uh, adult development study that 75 plus years, multiple generations, that it has a positive predictor on health and longevity. And I would probably rank it as one of my favorite, you know, pillars. So for you, you know, why, why does family matter during a time like this or even, you know, throughout the year as a pillar? Yes. You and I are so similar. It's one of my favorite <laughs> pillars for sure. And I think there's so much rich information here with family. It's going to bring us to cultural sensitivity. We are more than what you see right here and now. And you can't predict a person's background. You really cannot. And this is why I love counseling patients and coaching and consulting to learn more. I'm very curious. I love to learn more about the person in front of me, their attitudes and beliefs, certainly, and their own behaviors, but then social ecological model of change, what's around them, family environment, work, and then of course, neighborhood, society, state laws, country. But but getting to know that person's family, sort of the second layer in that social ecological model change, opens up so many more avenues for healing and help. So you know this, Colin, because I talk about it, but most people wouldn't predict that my grandparents came from Greece, from a small town near Sparta called Vasara. And I loved my Greek grandparents. They immigrated to East Boston and they were the most loving, wonderful, socially connected people that I knew. And the way they behaved, the way they interacted with family, with strangers, with friends was so warm. And I wanted to be that, that Mm. I wanted to aspire to. So with family, Often, with our food even, what grandma cooked, what mom cooked, what we're used to at home has a large impact on what we do now. Now, some people could just avoid their past and they didn't like it at all. But as lifestyle medicine practitioners, we need to understand the past. We need to understand the family, the culture, the traditions. It gives us just a deeper level of of understanding for that patient. So family sets a lot of the groundwork. As you mentioned, sometimes this is a very difficult topic and people have had experiences that are traumatic. So Mm -hmm. that is also something we need to know and address and refer for help. Unless the lifestyle medicine practitioner has that expertise themselves. I, I don't. So I have I have people here I can refer patients to. When we talk about where we are now in 2023, going into 2024, with a loneliness epidemic, with a diabetes mm-hmm. epidemic, with a obesity epidemic, family is more important than ever. I have two boys, 24 and 22, coming home. Like you know, and I'm They're so, coming in. They're coming in. <laughs> and I'm so, so excited about this. But but uh, they're, they're past the real hard stages, right? When they were little and then teenagers. And But this is setting the groundwork when they're little and they're teenagers, what we're feeding them, how we're moving. Now, remember, we practice what we preach. We preach what we practice. Well, interestingly, with kids, I know everyone on the line knows this because 
most people have been a kid at some point and they may be parents or uncles or aunts or grandparents or something. Kids only listen to what you do. <laughs> I mean, they may listen to you. They may listen to your words, of course, but they're really paying attention. When I say, listen, watch, emulate what you do. So many times, for example, when I was uh, working and raising the two boys and my mom was also living with me when my dad had passed away, at any rate, I would sometimes say, guys, I'm feeling like I need a timeout. I'm feeling like I just, I need to run. I need to have a jog. You know, they would be with the babysitter. Everybody is safe. So I'm going to be back. Uh, give me 20 minutes. I'm going to be back. And I know you had some questions and just let me, let me take a jog. And I'll be right back. And I think I'll have better answers um, for those things. And so I would go and, and, and do my run and come back a whole different person. Running definitely changes my physiology, my mindset, everything. And then I could really address the situation with less stress and also just more equanimity. And so funny enough, I tell you the story because I have someone in the house <laughs> that was a kid when that happened that actually likes to go for runs when that person, that boy is a, a little bit stressed, right? He feels that that is a good outlet for stress relief. Point being, they really are watching what you're doing and how you're behaving. And so that's how do you sleep? I always plug my phone in downstairs and I ask them to do so when they grew up. So we don't have phones in the bedroom, put my computer away Try, I, I love sleep. So I have always told like nine, 10 o'clock, I would tell them mom's got to go to bed. I mean, set that tone. I would say, oops, oops. I need to deep breathe guys. Woo. <laughs> we need, we all need to breathe. Let's just all breathe. So setting this tone in the home and mm -hmm. supporting each other. So actually I told you my dad was present, but not present. Kids know this. Mm -hmm. So I, was determined to be that parent, that mother that was present, fully mm. present, phone away, computer away. Here I am for you, my son or my two sons right here, right now. And being fully present for our kids, our spouse, our aunt, our uncle, our grandma, our whoever it is that's in our family, that's in our presence, being fully present and mindful is one of the best presents, gifts, you can possibly give the other. And you mentioned some people may not have family. Well, Bob Brooks and Ned Hallowell, two people, psychologists, one's a psychiatrist, one's a psychologist that are big mentors of mine for many years, decades now. They talk about having one person, one connection, one charismatic adult. If the child mm -hmm. has a really tough situation, if they can connect with one person, if we mm -hmm. all have one person that understands us, believes in us, when we are with them, we feel stronger. Brooks calls it a charismatic adult from Julius Siegel's work. If we all have that charismatic adult in our life, we do better. So mm -hmm. in the holidays now, when our family is present, I'd love everyone to think about, in the holidays and moving forward, to think about are you giving yourself as a present? Meaning, are you being fully present? Are you listening? Are you curious about that family member, that son, that daughter, that grandma, that sister, fully present and listening so that you can understand and love them for the person that they are? Can you be 
that charismatic adult for that individual. Now, hopefully you can twist this and say, I hope each one of the people listening today can identify a charismatic adult in their lives, meaning someone in their life from whom they gather strength. For me, it was Mm. for many years, then my mom and my dad, and now my husband. And in fact, now it's my older adult boys, right? Um, It changes with time too. But the importance of family and the prioritizing relationships, cultivating these relationships. Mind you, I don't have a sister. So some of us don't have family. I have a chosen sister though. Shout out to Mm -hmm. Laura Donahue. I hope she's listening. We were in high school together and we're still like chosen sisters. We sort of chose each other when we were 16. And you can choose, right? You, you this when you don't, you know, if you don't have a sister, you can choose one. If you do have a sister, you gotta love that sister for who the sister is. And then you can also have another sister. You could choose a brother. You could have family like like Colin, you're like a little brother. Oh, <laughs> I love it. I love it. So I hope that's helpful in answer. <clears throat> question. Yeah, for sure. I'm just uh, paying attention to time. I have so much to comment on, but I'm really glad that you've talked about the family portion of it because I think it's something that, you know, at times we can take for granted and at times we just, you know, let, you know, you've mentioned about being present and we're so distractive, you know, so noisy in our world right now. And, you know, the present moment is really what we have, right? You mentioned John Kabat-Zinn. You know, he talks a lot about being in the moment, right? And so it's 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 paramount to be able to not just pay time, but also pay attention and giving that, you know, that space, that sacred space of being there for one another because it literally takes a moment for a moment of inattention, a moment of just not, you know, being there with them for that other person to receive it as I don't care or I don't feel valued or acknowledged, right? And that could have ripple effects, right? For a child, that could that could mean their version of trauma, right? And so it's so, so important. And I'm really, really glad that you brought it up and, uh, you know, and how important it is you know, to choose one another, even if they're not, yeah. you know, related by blood. I think that's awesome. I have a lot of great, you know, chosen uh, sisters and brothers myself. So last question is call to action. You have many, many different books. You know, I want you to, to talk about them really briefly. And then second is if we wanted to, if someone that's listening wants to learn more about lifestyle medicine, where can they go? Where can they be educated? Is there a certification process? Yes. And I'll, I'll end as I began rebelliously and start <laughs> with your second. <laughs> okay. So American College of Lifestyle Medicine, www.lifestylemedicine.org. And if you're very interested in lifestyle medicine, you can take this free CME CE, which is the Essentials Bundle online course. And here is the QR code that you can mm-hmm. scan. And also the website with the backslash WH conference. I would suggest becoming a member of the American College of Lifestyle Medicine if you're interested. There are several CME and CE courses. You can get board certified in lifestyle medicine through the American Board of Lifestyle Medicine. I recommend you looking at that website as well. To learn about the latest lifestyle medicine research guidelines, I 
co-authored this Lifestyle Medicine Pocket Guide just recently released with two medical students, Lifestyle Medicine Interest Group presidents from 2020 that I've been working with for four years now, Andre Dempsey and Case Braham, terrific pocket guide that you can utilize mm-hmm. as it fits in your pocket. Mm-hmm. A new book that goes through the art of lifestyle medicine. You know, I said the science and then there was this behavior change piece. Here mm-hmm. I edited co-edited this with a dear friend, Mark Ferries from American College of Lifestyle Medicine. We were on the board together in 2016 when I was first elected to the board. And uh, several ACLM members have co-authored chapters in this book as well, like Dr. Jessica Matthews and Dr. Amy Commander and others. If you are a patient, this is the book for you. If you are looking to do group visits, this is the book for you as a provider. You can follow Paving the Path to Wellness for 12 sessions, and there's different dimensions of well-being in here. The six pillars are, of course, included, plus six other dimensions. If you are a mom and have teenagers, you might want the Teen Lifestyle Medicine Handbook that I co-authored with amazing pediatricians and even a teenager (laughs) was involved in this. So this also has a full curriculum to it, the lifestyle medicine teen curriculum. My original book, which you may know, the lifestyle medicine handbook, this is the second edition. There's a lifestyle medicine 101 curriculum downloadable uh, on the American College of uh, Lifestyle Medicine's website. So you could get 12 PowerPoints to review on your own, to use in your group visits, to teach with whatever you like. It's all for free at that www.lifestylemedicine.org. And this book is available on Amazon and Healthy Learning. All these books, I get zero proceeds. So the lifestyle medicine ones go, the proceeds of mine go to the American College of Lifestyle Medicine. Paving book goes to the nonprofit Paving Wellness. Delighted to be on your podcast to share some time (laughs) with you and your followers. And it's a true honor to work with you. You've been on the board of directors with me now a couple years and your insights, your participation, your ability to connect has been a real gift for the American College of Lifestyle Medicine. So thank you so much for your service and thank you for having me today. Oh, thank you. Thank you so, so much. And, uh, Please keep up with the good, you know, good work. I felt like I just entered into Dr. Beth Frady's bookstore. It's like, wow, this is like, you know, if I needed to get a gift, you know, this is the perfect. So, um, but thank you truly for your remarkable career. You know, your family being such a great inspiration, you know, honoring your father and his legacy and, um, you know, how important family is and your beautiful version of practicing and immersing that piece, your that favorite pillar into lifestyle medicine. So thank you so, so much and uh, looking forward to continuing working uh, with you and the rest of the team. Guys, thank you so much for watching this episode. If you like this, please like, comment, and share. And if you felt like this was a benefit for someone else, please let them know. And until then, please say goodbye to Dr. Beth Freddies. Bye-bye. Thank you so much. <laughs> Bye. Hey guys, we hope you enjoy that episode. If you like that, please like, comment, and subscribe. And uh, please follow us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify Podcasts, and anywhere that 
you listen to your podcasts. And if you felt that this was a benefit for someone else, please let them know. And also remember that the first five seasons, 150 episodes, now can be seen and heard on our new The Chef Doc app. And don't forget to give us a five-star rating, and we greatly appreciate it. So, and we'll see you on the next one.